When you come to the reign of God's glory, what size bucket will you bring? Today is a very prophetic message. And my prayer for you is that you would have spiritual ears to hear what God is saying to you personally, but I want you to understand that God is speaking to us corporately as a church family. So there is blessing in today for you, and there is blessing in today for the church family. And I pray that you grasp both of it. I want to read from Psalm 68 for those of you taking notes. Psalm 68 verses 7 through to 10. O God, when you led your people out from Egypt, when you marched through the dry wasteland, the earth trembled and the heavens poured down rain. Sounds like this morning. Before you, O God of Sinai, before you, the God of Israel, you sent abundant rain, O God, to refresh the weary land. There your people finally settled and with a bountiful harvest, O God, you provided for your needy people. The Lord is promising to bring refreshment to his people. So to those of you who are weary, I say, come and be refreshed. Come and be refreshed. I want to read to you from Hosea chapter 6. Jamie started this morning with Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come. Let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. God is promising restoration for his people. For those of you who feel you've lost dreams, perhaps lost family, perhaps you've lost your joy, well, I say come. Come this morning because the Lord is in the business of restoration. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 to 5. Isaiah 44, verse 1 to 5. But listen now to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. He's speaking to us, the church. The Lord who made you and who helps you says, Do not be afraid, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. The Lord is promising a harvest of souls. This scripture is prophesying 
a season where we, if we stand in faith, will see people also come to faith. That we would see salvation in our community, for God says he is pouring out his spirit and people will write his name on their hearts. Surely you could be a little bit excited about that. Come on, this is a prophetic message this morning and, and, and I want you to have a heart to receive. I, I, in the Bible, when God speaks about rain and the spring rains or in their seasonal cycle, it's called the latter rain. You may have heard that phrase. It's a symbol of time, it's a symbol of season and it's a symbol of a new beginning. In agriculture, for those of you in farming, you'll know rain is essential. Rain is essential in order to bring about the abundance of the harvest that is to come, that you know will come. In the Jewish culture, in the context of the audience of which we have just read, spring rain brought about the fullness of the harvest. Let me say that again. Spring rain brought about the fullness of the harvest. We are God's people. And we must remember that when he speaks over us prophetic promises, he intends to see them fulfilled. One of the great books of prophetic promise is the book of Deuteronomy. It's a long book. If you read it, it's some 30-odd chapters, maybe a few more, but it's one sermon that Moses gives. The people sat there all day listening to him. No microphone, no live stream, no Facebook if you get lost. Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 13. God says this through Moses. If you carefully obey all the commands I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart and soul, then He will send the rain in their proper season. The early and late rains, so that you can bring in the harvests of grain, new wine, and olive oil. He will give you lush pasture land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. Does that sound good? You're not sure? Okay, this is agricultural context. For them, grain was a sign of God's abundance and his generosity, that they would have an overflowing of, of actually material possessions. It wasn't just about, you know, wheat bix in the cupboard. It was about grain that provided sustenance and abundance and extravagance in excess for their household. When you hear grain, you've got to think God is good to beyond my need in order to that which is lavish above my need because he's a loving father. When you read new wine, you've got to understand it means new life. We studied this last year in a season where we did a message series called the new wine of Jesus. That we would have access to the fullness of everything Jesus purchased for us at the cross of Calvary. He didn't just go to the cross and die so you get a bus ticket to heaven. He, got a, he, he had life beyond the grave so that you could have life forevermore. But now, the fullness of your salvation is life today, not just life in heaven playing golf in the clouds. And when he speaks of oil, when the scripture speaks of the olive oil flowing in excess in the promised land, he is speaking of the richness of the presence of God who dwells with us. Holy Spirit in us is our promise. The olive oil symbolizes the anointing and the setting apart of God's chosen people, those that have yielded to Him and surrendered their lives, and they glisten and glow with the oil because His glory radiates from within them. Church, that's you. 
This is the promise. And in the context of today's prophetic message, I wanted to bring these scriptures because the Word of God is rich in promise for us today. And that the latter rains, and I kind of joke because it's springtime, but it's raining. It's pouring. And God says the spring rains are bringing something new. Where is your expectation? Where is your heart? Where is your expectation? So I ask you this question. When the rain of God's glory comes, what size bucket will you choose to bring? The picture I get, and, and, I, and I think about these things before I share them, so this is not random. But as I imagine the cloud of God's glory coming and bringing the rich latter spring rains, I see a cloud that you can't escape. If you're standing next to, next to someone that's getting drenched in rain, guess what? You get drenched as well. You know, this is what God's glory is all about. I want, you to, I want you to have a heart that's open to accept the prophetic promise that God's bringing to us today. This is for you personally, but it's also for your household, and it's for this church. And on behalf of the church, as one of the leaders, I stand here with open hearts to receive what God wants to pour out into us today. You know what this means for some of you? It means the end of a drought. If you're dry, cracked, broken, and thirsty, guess what? There's a drought that's finishing because the spring rains are coming to bring God's promise to us. Will you at least raise your hand and say hallelujah to that? Because come on, we've got to be hungry and expectant for what God's doing. I've been prophesying this all week in staff and in prayer meeting and in in encounters I have with people like God says, the time has come. I sat last Saturday night and I watched the sunset over the horizon and God said that season It's done. It's finished. And when one season finishes, another season starts. What size bucket? What size bucket are you going to bring? Where's your expectation? I mean, that kind of phrase reminds me of a story in Second Kings chapter four. The the widow, um, her husband died. He's one of the prophets of Elisha. He's working hard for God's kingdom and serving the people faithfully, and he dies. He leaves his wife, the widow, and two sons, and somehow they get into debt. There's a creditor demanding they pay what they don't have. And she says to Elisha, she cries out, and she says, Oh, man of God, will you help me? And what does he say? Someone's read the story, surely. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? And she says, Oh, I have nothing except a little oil. And he says, gather as many pots and churns and buckets as you can and take them inside. Begin to pour the oil you have into the buckets. And as many buckets as she collected were filled with oil. Where was her expectation? Multiple buckets in the household, as many as she could find from her neighbors and her family, from all around the village. You would expect there was no other bucket except for those in her house. And yet... If she'd only collected four, how many would have been filled? Let me say it to you this way. The size of your expectation determines the abundance of your renewal. Size of your expectation determines the abundance of your renewal. Today I'm a bit excited, you might tell. And I'm bringing a prophetic message because I'm speaking what I believe God's given me, and I believe that God's words bring life. So for those that like to write titles on a message, this is my phrase for this week, and this is my phrase for this season. Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. 
And I was hoping it would be sunny, but then God laughed at me and said, well, the latter rains of spring will be what brings my abundance in the harvest. So I say, let it rain. Oh, look at the time. Look. Sorry. I'm still in my introduction. Um, <laughs> Phil and Phil, do you want to come and sit with Mel? We've got some prophetic stuff that's going on while you're moving. Hodgson's, would you stand? Um, um, I, I think it's funny that both of you were, were speaking today. It wasn't my plan, but stand where you are, because um, I, I, I've, as an expectation for something new, I feel like God's, uh, there's what I call, this is my phrase, a spirit of prophecy in the house, which means he just moves. And he moves through. Chris just came and brought a word. I was delighted. It wasn't just me, um, but there's much more. For you two, um, you know, you are honored and esteemed in the community, both of you. Uh, many have said that. Uh, I say it. Others say it. Um, and, you know, in the season you're in, as Janet, you shared, you know, you have influence in the community. Uh, you have five children, three girls, two boys, seven grandchildren, only one granddaughter. Hmm, maybe another one. That's not what I'm prophesying. But, um, but, but here's what God's saying to you, is that in the richness of your giving and your generosity of serving others, he wants to extend your family and your influence. That whilst you have five ch- children in the, in the natural, I'm not prophesying Abram and Sarah, there's no more. But what I am saying is they're spiritual children, that you are to extend your arms open wide because God is going to bring to you a, a blessing of gathering, my phrase, a, a gathering where you will nurture, you will care for, but you will disciple and raise up spiritual sons and daughters who will raise up spiritual grandsons and granddaughters, and your legacy is extending, said God, because of the favor that's on you and the character that you display in serving other people. So I just pray that you, um, you ask him what that looks like, um, and there's some instructions later for all of us, but um, thank you. May you be blessed. Um, Atwoods, uh, if you could stand. Don't look at me like that, Mel. Um, <laughs> Because, um, um, I mean, I, I know you guys really well. We've traveled, both of us, together, and, and, and I'm careful what I say, but I feel like the Lord says, put more buckets out. Your actions and your decisions and your choices in this season will demonstrate your faith and the expectations you have in God in order that you would see his abundant blessing flow into you. Put more buckets out. Simple. That's all. But put more buckets out. And um, Linda's not here? No. Okay. Um, Tiff, do you want to stand in for her and come and stand with Jamie? Is that okay? Will Sarah be all right? Yep. This is, this is a family blessing. So, um, uh, Tiffany, it's easy for you to stand in place of Linda uh, and receive on behalf of, but as well as, if I could say that. And um, the kind of the word I had for you uh, and Jamie and, and Linda, but... Uh, this is why it's funny, is because God says you're going to run together. And if you know their, their health challenges, both of them, that's not easy for them to do. But God says that is not going to limit you. As a family, if you could just link arms, the unity in your family is going to, is going to bring a strength that's going to bring supernatural speed to the way that you can move. And God says run together. And, you know, and, and mum will watch this or listen to us, but, but the word is for her also. That link arms, stay strong as whānau, but run. Because the season is coming where you won't limp. You won't walk in circles. You won't wake up in pain. God says, run and run with all your strength. You get the message? 
And for you, I was praying this morning, and the Lord just showed me your face, and, and just feel like that the Lord wants to release compassion on you, that there's going to be words of healing that you speak to people, and, and today I'm calling you out on that, and I'm going to keep an eye on you. Um, you don't have to do it alone, but the Lord says to begin to speak words of life, that there's a gift inside you that is going to bring life to other people, and a in a new and fresh way that you haven't maybe experienced or haven't felt um, trained in or feeling qualified for. But the Lord just says, step out. And as you step, as often either case, I have to say something first before he gives me the words. In the same way it'll be with you, there's a prophetic utterance of declaring life in people and releasing that life into them through the touch of your hands and the prayer of your heart. Amen? God bless your family, uh, all of you, lots of you. Um, there's, more, there's more going on, and I'm... Um, What's my point today? My point is this, because I might prophesy over three or four, but we're all family. You can't stay in winter when spring has sprung. You know, if it's winter in Pekero School, it's winter in Kiki School. Why? Because we're geographically connected. When you stand next to someone in the rain, you get wet as well. But here's my point. Spring has sprung. If you're part of this family, spring has sprung. If you're living in Tiamudu, spring has sprung. If you're here... Get on board because you can't change the season. Only God does. And you've got to have an expectation that you live in the place where God is and therefore you live in what He determines and what He says is so. And when you live in that regard, you don't miss what He's doing. Because if you don't accept what God says about the seasons, you're going to miss it. And that's a really, really tough place to be. If you don't have a revelation that God is God and he determines the season and you think you get to choose based on how you feel and where you go, then you've misunderstood who God is. And I don't say that as criticism or condemnation. I say it as a revelation of the awesomeness of God and how little we are. Psalm 22, David says, I am but a worm before you, God. Maybe we should remember we're worms. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a worm. Because here's the thing, though, like sometimes there's a, some, be careful how you say it, say it in love, but you know, sometimes there's a fight going on inside us, sometimes we wrestle with the tension, because the preacher gets up full of inspiration or, or too much coffee, and suddenly you go, oh yeah, good for him, good for the church, but what about me? And the fight inside you is that you think you don't deserve it, or you're not in step with it. Well, suck it up, it's spring. You don't call the season, God does. So put aside that fight, because you're not fighting the devil, you're fighting against God. When you say it's not spring, you're speaking against God. So don't call it the devil. Don't blame him. It's you. You've got to fight against what's going on inside you so that you can understand that if there's a promise of God, there's a process of God. Don't fight the process. He's got to take you through something to get to somewhere, and you've got to be able to carry, my phrase is, you've got to have the capacity to carry the promise God will give you, but the capacity grows through his process. How many of you have been through a process and know it's not comfortable? Am I? There's only three of us. Seriously? Come on. God's doing something through a process. Sometimes there's a fight inside us. Here's, here's the problem. Here's the risk. The kingdom of God does not desire to your bow for status quo, your desire for status quo. Kingdom of God does not bow to your desire for status quo. Kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is bringing transformation. The kingdom of God is growing in momentum. Jesus said, the kingdom is near to you. I'm saying the same thing. The kingdom is near to you. Do you know what he did to the cities and towns who refused to accept how awesome he was and what he did? Pretty harsh. Read Luke chapter 10. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. What sorrow awaits you. 
For you did not recognize the signs that were amongst you in the season God is calling you into as his people. Woe to you. There's no room for preference or comfort as a priority when God's kingdom advances. We're going to put aside our desire, the fight inside of us for comfort, the fight inside us for preference, the fight inside us for, well, I'm just going to do what I feel like. No, God says it's spring has sprung. Let's act like it. We should say amen. Amen. On Wednesday night, uh, we prayed in line with the new season, as you'll see on your prayer cards. I encourage you to put one in your Bible. And Richard, uh, as a farm advisor, in his wisdom um, and training, said, you know, the thing you need to understand is when the season changes, let me, let me, I wrote his words down. A new season requires a quantum shift in how we operate. There must be significant shift in both action and investment, otherwise the opportunities presented by the new season will be forever lost. Farmers in the room, is that true? Of course it is. A new season demands a quantum shift in what, you'd, what you've known as previously to be normal. If you're wondering what that looks like, I'm going to tell you shortly. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why should you care? Well, like you're, you're on the bus, hopefully. Well, actually the people get to choose. When God makes an invitation into his promise, the people get to choose. And we can learn from looking at the story of the Israelites as to how that doesn't go well for a generation. God showed the Israelites the promised land. He said, here is the land that I've promised to give you. It's rich and flowing with milk and honey. That's figurative. But there's luscious harvest, there's cities you did not build, and there's grapes the size of basketballs. I don't know if they had basketballs back then, but there's big grapes. And what was their, what was their reaction? Oh, no. We are too little. We cannot possess it. And something took hold of them inside, and they denied the season and the promise God had ordained, and they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. Why does that matter for you? Well, are you wanting to walk in the wilderness for 40 years? You want to be part of the generation that dies and doesn't get to see the promise? Do you want to miss out on God fulfilling the desires of your heart with the richness of grain, new wine, and olive oil? Not me. You know, like, I'm hoping that we're a church that says a resounding yes to God. I'm hoping that as Zion people, we understand we're called to dwell with God in His presence and His promise. It's in our name. It's, it's in our DNA. But we've got to choose. So how do we do that? But more importantly, how do you do that? And I'm mindful of the time, so I'm going to move fast. But I want to talk about a really, really strong lady. A lady in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, just after the widow's story, we read about the Shunammite woman. For those of you taking notes, 2 Kings chapter 4, reading from verse 8 through to 17. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed by that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. 
One day Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to the upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you've shown for us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried, O man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, The woman soon became pregnant, and at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Shunanite woman shows us the strength it takes to possess the promise of God. There's much more to the story. There's another two parts, and in two weeks' time, I'm I'm going to get into that. But for today, I just want to look at this portion of this story and understand what do we see in this woman? What's the context? While she's living in the north, uh, just a little bit south of Nazareth. It's a small town. It's, a, a trade, it's on the trading route. So the prophet and his band of merry men wander through there on their way to minister to the people of God. But this woman has influence in her town. She's a wealthy woman. There's substance to her and there's reputation and character by the way she moves and, and, and acts in the town. Clearly, she has wealth. It's no concern for her to just do house modifications for the prophet no regard for the sacrifice financially that she needs to make. It seems from the text that she's happily married, and we read later that she's a devoted worshiper of God. It's common for her to go and have prayer before God. She becomes aware of Elisha and his mantle as a prophet, and she actually knows where he lives. But we'll get to that next time. I just love the fact that God calls out the woman in the story to highlight something. Because in Jewish culture, in Old Testament times, a woman was to be not seen and not heard. And yet several times when you pause and look at it, there's a woman that rises up into the spotlight and God says, watch her heart, there's something significant to learn. And I, I love that about the scripture. It just speaks to me. It comes alive and, I, and I'm learning to watch these little notes and take notes. And, and I, I haven't got time to share everything that I learned about her, but I'm sure that life was going well for her. But what she shows us is how do we position ourselves to receive God's promise in this new season? Because her season is about to change. Spring has sprung. I bet she thought everything was okay. And then God intervenes. Classically, it's what he's done this morning. He's interrupted what we're doing with prophetic words because he wants to speak life into situations, and I believe he wants to speak much, much more than we've seen already. What happens in the story? Elisha wants to see this woman. He calls her to it. Now, she's not allowed to stand in his room because that would be immoral. She's not even allowed to speak with him directly because he's a prophet and the man of God, and he must not be deceived, but deceived or, or misled. And so she stands and she speaks through Gehazi, the assistant, and he says to Gehazi, tell her this. So she's very, very um, clear on the moral understanding of how to stay right and keep herself pure before God. May that be a lesson to us all. And Elisha says, well, shall I commend you to the king or the commander of the army? 
Now, that's what um, uh, Janet was sharing before, you know, with David saying, well, let's bring, what's his name? Mephibosheth. Let's bring the, young, uh, the, the, the son of um, Saul into the king's palace where he will have favor. Classic. She set it up for me because she's showing us that that was a principle of favor in God's house. And she says, no, it's actually okay because my family is my dwelling place. Interesting. And I believe um, Elisha uses this as an opportunity to coach his, his assistant. So Gehazi, the assistant, was his disciple. Remember, Elisha was the assistant to who? Elijah. And when Elijah passed on, the mantle was passed to Elisha. What's really interesting, we won't study Gehazi today, but he doesn't get the mantle passed on to him. He gets leprosy. May that be a lesson to us and to keep our heart pure before God. But in this case, this is before that, Elisha uses this as a coaching opportunity, and he says to his young assistant, or his, his assistant, don't know how old he is, he says, what should we do? And I'm going to propose to you, this is hearsay, but I propose that the Holy Spirit gave Gehazi a nudge. Gave him a word of knowledge to speak something out that he observed in the natural. And may this be a lesson to you. God speaks to you in your spirit through observations that you make. Because everyone who visited her home, certainly everybody in the town knew, Oh, well, that lady doesn't have no son. Man, what shame. Something must be wrong with her. Look, God is judging her because she has no son. This was the culture that she lived in. So everybody knew she had no son. Gehazi would have seen it because he'd been staying in the house, and yet God nudges his spirit, and he says, oh, this is something I should mention. It's called a word of knowledge. He says she has no son. So Elisha calls her in again. She stood in the doorway. And he began to prophesy over her. You see, somewhere deep inside her heart was a longing, a longing to be a mother. You can see in her reaction, you know, this, um, this oh my, oh man of God, do not deceive me and do not get my hopes up. She's revealing her inner heart and that she would deeply desire a son, but she wouldn't want to put her hopes on it in case she be disappointed. And God says often, it's the very place of your heart I'm going to touch because you might not think you deserve it, but I do, says God. I wonder what's going on inside you today. Do not think you deserve it, and God says, you do. We read the end of the story, and we see that um, one year later, she had the, the child. Well, if you do the math, then obviously she fell pregnant nine months before that. So that means there's about a three-month window with no pregnancy. What's it like to live in that season, I wonder? Well, you know what? This lady has the, high sight, the hindsight perspective of Abraham and Sarah. Remember? God said to Abraham and Sarah, this time you, know, you will have a son. And that story became Isaac, which led to Jacob, which led to the 12 tribes of which she's a part of up in the land of Issachar. So she knows that story. It's playing over on it. She's got, you know, what God has done before, he can do again, playing over and over in, a, in a, you know, the Elevation Worship song. I bet she's got it on repeat. Because what you've done before, you can do again. And that's a word for someone. If you don't have a testimony, find someone that does. Because we believe what God's done before, he'll do again. So often I'll stand with people and declare my testimony over their life to say, God, you did it in my life, you can do it in their life. So if you don't have a testimony, find someone that does. What does this woman teach us? Four things. 
You've got to be proactive. You've got to be proactive in where you position yourself. This woman saw the man of God passing by and she invites him in. She took the initiative. She was proactive and she said, I'm going to do something and I'm going to bring him in. What could this look like for you? How could you be proactive in reaching out? How could, how could you do something about that? Just yesterday, as I'm prayerfully preparing for today, finishing up in my prayer, I get this out-of-the-blue message from someone that said, hey, God's saying it's time for me to go to phase two. What should I do? That's called initiative. That's called being proactive. That's called reaching out and finding a way to get access to the right place. What could it mean for you? You've got to think about how you can be proactive. Where? When? And how? But those that aren't proactive don't get this next one. If you're not proactive, you won't get proximity. The second thing the strong woman shows us is how you can be blessed by having proximity to God's power. Proximity means nearness. Proximity means access to. Proximity means sitting underneath. People on the fringe, people that didn't make the story script, are not there because they just didn't reach out and they didn't get close. Proximity. I've got a personal story that I'll share with you in a minute because I want to make a, a, a parallel to, to a situation in my life. But let me, let me just clear something up for you because I've got to do this. The lady had proximity to the power of God, but let me make sure you don't make a grievous mistake. Because you could quite easily listen to this message and make the grievous mistake of making things all about you. And that would be a mistake. So let me say this to you. What does a Shunammite woman do? She gains proximity to God's power because she serves unselfishly. What does it mean for you? Well, I'd like to suggest you should be upping your game when it comes to serving. It's in verse 10. Let me just read it for you so you don't think I'm making this up. She says, let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp, and then have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Well, they had no Uber, so guess who was cooking? She was, her servant. They were serving. They were feeding. They were taking care of. They were tending to his needs. I mean, Elisha was a traveling prophet. I mean, he walked the dusty roads. So they would be doing the washing. They would be cleaning. They would be providing him a safe place, giving him... Um, reserves and resources to take on his way for the journey. How did she get where she was? Because she had the attitude of serving unselfishly. What does that mean for you? How could you be shifting yourself to serving God unselfishly? Two more things, and I'll tell you a story. Promise. We see God touch her heart in a special way. I've always spoke about this. You know, the deep inside her heart was this desire and longing to be a mother, to have a son, so that she would be esteemed and highly favored in the eyes of her friends. And God touches that heart. He touches the bit that's inside her that she hasn't revealed to anyone. But let me also say it this way, because I want to make sure all glory goes to God. God's promise always prevails. God's promise always prevails. Now, I can't determine the timing I wish I could. I've tried. I've, just, I've given testimony here numerous times. I've tried and failed to advance God's timing and my own strength. But what I can say to you is that God's promise always prevails. That means what God declares over you, God is good for. He will make a way for you to walk in His promise. I urge you to hold on to those promises. I urge you just to pray in agreement with Him. God, you said this. That's what we do as elders of the church. 
we get out the promises God gave the church that we believe to be a word, a prophetic word for this church, and we pray over them, we declare them, we agree with them, and we act in line with them, knowing that God determines the timing. We'll do the same in your life. Set your sights on heaven and believe that what God said he's doing, he is doing. Now, I'm really mindful that when I speak like this, there might be someone in the room or several in the room that don't feel like they have a promise. Like you hear me talking about all this good stuff, and you're like, yeah, but what about me? Well, firstly, let me say this. If you're part of this family, then our promises are your promises. You're included in the family and the promises God's given Zion people. The prophetic vision and promises God's given the leaders of this church are for all of us. Because when it's spring for one, it's spring for all. When it rains on one, it rains on all. When the sun shines on one, it shines on all. But if you don't have a personal prophecy, we believe God likes to give people promises. And I have a feeling that there's more that God wants to release today. And I also have a feeling that God's in a good mood. Maybe, I don't know, it's possibly that he'd like to smile over his sons and daughters. So after the service, which I'm going to wrap up as quick as I can, um, I just want you to understand that God has an opportunity ordained for you to receive a prophetic promise. And I've got a half a dozen people I'll find, and we'll just make sure prophetic ministry is available to you if you would like it. Okay? Because I don't want anyone thinking they don't have a promise. Here's the fourth thing before I tell you my story. Progeny of purpose. Progeny means offspring. It means descendants. It means children. It means family. So it means that there's more, one, more than one generation for you to be blessed by. And we talked about this with, when I prophesied over Fraser and Janet that there was spiritual children and grandchildren that were extending because God is a multi-generational God. The blessings he gave to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob are yours. Same. Same blessings. Same promise because God is a multi-generational God. So the blessings that come for you are for your children and your grandchildren. So we've got to believe that what God's building here is something bigger than just us. Like seriously, guys, I mean, I come here and I work hard, but I'm not doing it for my own satisfaction. I'm doing it for those that follow, that I would build a foundation and a platform for the next generation to launch off for this church to go global, whatever that means. Whether it's three people meeting in Indonesia or 30 people meeting in, in um, Dunedin, I don't mind. But we've got to build a platform for the next generation because that's how God works. So let me just give you an example because I want you to know that I'm, I've, I've, I'm living this. I'm trying to. Um, many of you will know, you've heard me speak before that uh, my business career, a lot of what I've done is around teaching people about money. Financial seminars across New Zealand, I've published um, three books about money and um, got a bit of a reputation for it. And then the Lord says to me one day that, um, you know, it's time to take it to another level. Because I can teach people what's in their head and what's in their hands, but I've got to shift what's in their heart. And I'm like, God, how do I do that? Because I want to do that. And he, he leads me by um, just random coincidence. There's no coincidence. God leads me to meet this guy called Stephen De Silva, who wrote a book called Money and the Prosperous Soul. And then the Lord says to me, well, now that you enjoyed the book, go and meet him. And I'm like, well, he's in California. He's like, we'll get in a plane then. We'll swim. You choose. So I book an appointment through his office. I get on a plane. I fly up to Northern California, and I sit in his office. He goes, oh, hi, how are you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. He goes, oh, you've got a Kiwi accent. You're from New Zealand. And I was like, yes, sir. He says, well, how can I help you today? Because he thought I was there for financial counseling. And I was like, did you get my letter? He goes, no. I said, well, I'm here because God asked me to come and meet with you, and let me tell you my story. 
He says, you got on a plane to sit in an appointment with me? And I said, yes, sir. Well, God, God said, like, what am I going to do? Say no? And because of that reaching out, because of my proactive, proactive attitude, because of me choosing to be in his proximity, the Lord opened the door for me to serve him. So that week, I get to run a prophetic strategic uh, session for his team around a whiteboard. God busts open a new business model for his ministry, and he says, thank you very much. And I fly home. Then he says, oh, Phil, I'm going to be in, in Albury, Wodonga. I'm like, well, where's that? Five hours north of Melbourne. I said, okay, I'll see you there. So I fly to Melbourne, drive five hours, and I serve him while he delivers a seminar. Next year, he says, Phil, I'm going to be in Brisbane. I says, I'll be there. I flew to Brisbane, hired a car, drove out to some church in the middle of WAPS, and I served him at that seminar. And I believe because of that, my willingness to unselfishly serve him, that God's laid a mantle on me to help people, but more than that, to help churches break out of financial bondage. So what are we doing about it? Well, we're writing a program for churches right now that we're going to take to other places where churches can walk out of financial bondage and people's lives will be set free. And the only way it's going to happen is if God's power moves through us, but it's only going to happen because we chose to serve first. Proactive, proximity, promise, and progeny. There's going to be other generations blessed because of this. So you've got to think to yourself, what am I going to do? Now that's what you're going to ask. Because I know what I'm doing. What are you going to do? And here's, here's something that I've been learning lately around leadership and, and leading people and, and, and same for myself. If you don't do something specific, you'll do nothing. If you don't do something specific, you'll do nothing. It's too general. It's too easy. Oh, yeah, the four points. Can't remember them all. They started with P, but well, that's okay. And move on. No. Make a commitment before you leave to do something. Before you make that commitment, you better answer a question in your heart. Am I willing to embrace the new season God is declaring prophetically over this church? And if you are, step into it because spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. So what is the one thing? It's a rhetoric question because I'm not asking you to think about it. I'm going to tell you what it is. Be proactive. Every single one of you, be proactive. The one thing you take away from today is be proactive. Get up and do something. And momentum will create the sort of shift in your life that will see you step into God's season. Here's a final word of knowledge before I give you my last phrase, and I promise I'm closing right now. As I was working through this part here, I just felt there were going to be some people here that would use their age as an excuse. And I'm saying, don't you dare. We need grandparents in our family. We don't just need them to sit in the lounge and drink cups of tea with a rug on their knees. I need grandparents engaged with the young parents. I need grandparents engaged out there with the kids. I need a multi-generational family. Not because I need it, but because for us to walk into it, the whole family is required. So please don't use age as an excuse. Unacceptable. You'll die in the desert. Okay, here's my last phrase. Watch this. You love a little bit of alliteration? When you're proactive in your proximity to power, the promise presents your purpose-filled progeny. I tell you, when the Holy Spirit's flowing, it's all good. Let me pray for you. Um, God, we, we posture ourselves before you in humility. God, we want to receive what you have for us.
God, there's something shifting. May it shift inside us with a belief and a resolution to be proactive, to stay in step with you. God, we can't do this in our own strength, but with our partnership and your strength, we can see things shift in our community. And that's our heart's desire. Lord, we accept and say amen to your prophetic message today that spring has sprung. We choose to put aside doubt. We choose to put aside fear. We choose to put aside those things that limit us. And we say yes and amen to what you're doing. Lord, would you give people the strength and the courage, the revelation and the insight to be proactive, to get up, to step out, and to do something as you lead them to. And Lord, I know that favor will flow on their lives as they put their energy into what you're calling them into. So I bless the church. I bless the church with the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through whom all things were created and all good things come by his grace. Bless our time today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.